So we are in Isaiah chapter 26 today. Isaiah chapter 26. We did chapters 24 and 25 last week, and I had some ambition about trying to get through um, chapters 26 and 27. I'm just not that good, so we're going to be on chapter 26, and uh, Daddy and I will arm wrestle for chapter 27 next week. Uh, as I said, uh, chapters 15 through 23 talked about judgments to different um, groups of people, different cities, and then when we got to chapter 24 and chapters 25, we talked about um, those talking about judgment, and then uh, the the remnant of God's people that would be spared that judgment, and the the praise that that remnant offered to God for uh, preservation through that. And in chapter 26, we we see uh, some more of that. Uh, specifically, you'll you'll catch um, kind of a flavor of uh, praising God for His protection, His security, and so forth. And so, just kind of listen uh, for that as we go through. So we'll start with uh, verse one in chapter 26. It says, "In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah," and we know that. In that day, is starting to sound kind of familiar to us, is, is looking toward the future. Um, in this case, uh, probably uh, in the, the time of the uh, millennium or, or shortly after that. Uh, I'm sorry, shortly before that is, is that's being ushered in. It says, in that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up walls and ramparts for security. Open the gates that the righteous, may, righteous nation may enter. The one that remains faithful, the steadfast of mind, thou wilt, keep in purpose, thou wilt keep in perfect peace, because he trusts in thee, trust in the Lord forever. For in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. We have a strong city. Uh, we left off in chapter 25 uh, talking about the uh, destruction of uh, a city, a city that was brought to judgment. And now we have uh, the new city of God. And uh, as we've gone along, we've seen this several pictures of um, kind of the imagery of what it's going to be like uh, when God sets things aright. We've talked about um, uh, what's going to happen on the mountain as a picture of, of God reestablishing uh, uh, his presence and, and uh, his new way of living for us uh, at that time. And here we have the image of a city. And in the first couple of verses there, we get the idea of security and safety, uh, peace uh, as, as a group, right? Uh, we have walls of protection around us. We have uh, some security there. It says there's walls and ramparts. There are, you know, um, defensive battlements there uh, that we can trust in. And of course, this is uh, figurative language, not, you know, that there will even be a need for, uh, for actual walls and ramparts, but this is figurative language that God is going to be there for us collectively. Uh, we'll be together within his circle of protection. And then you can see a shift in verses 3 and 4, which um, are verses that might be familiar to some of you. It says, the steadfast of mind... Thou will keep in perfect peace, because he trusts in thee. Trust in the Lord forever, for in God 
the Lord. We have an everlasting rock. Uh, here we can think of personal peace, you know, not just collectively, but personally. And as I, as I started going through this, this thing about if you were a people back in the day, and, and of course we know that he was writing to uh, a group, he's talking about the future, of course, but at the time um, you had the Assyrians that depend I forget the timing actually, but either had or were in the process of conquering the the northern kingdom of Israel, and of course we know the echoes of the Babylonians coming down is is not far away. Uh, this was they had a lot to be scared about. There was a lot to be afraid of. Um, so looking forward to a day would have been you know very reassuring words to them knowing that um, that it was close uh, you know right now the nation of Israel is surrounded by badness on every side right um, so we're a little bit insulated from that we don't maybe feel that threat as much but but it's there and and maybe our threats might be a little different right so what are the types of things that we are afraid of that we protect ourselves from? What are the things that, that we focus on in terms of security and protection and that sort of thing? I think we focus on kind of stupid stuff like money and jobs and being a whole realm of what other countries are going through with being bombed and they have to, you know, leave their home and travel and they're so fearful of bodily harm and yeah, certainly. God, we don't do that. Yeah, you know, so I think you make a good point that what we're afraid of does depend on where we live, right? Tammy Harris, Dr. Harris, my colleague, she grew up in Oklahoma. And she was really surprised that you could have a tornado warning in any land and not hear a horn. Because she says, you know, the horns go off every Saturday and you can hear them because tornadoes are such a real threat where she grew up. Um, yeah, we worry about, uh, you know, we see lots of ads on TV for security systems, right? Um, whoever's gonna protect the things that you've got. And then we see ads for um, uh, identity theft, you know, that protect yourself against somebody stealing your credit cards or whatever. I mean, those are the things that we worry about. While there are, you know, people in Israel who are doing, you know, civil defense drills where they're putting on their gas mask and heading to the subways and that sort of thing, we don't have any concept of that sort of thing. So, um, but everybody is fearful about something. And this, the steadfast of mind will keep us in perfect peace because he trusts in the God is our rock. And we know that now and also in the future, earthquakes are going to be a feature, right? We hear about earthquakes a lot. And what's so bad about an earthquake is that what the one thing you expect to be sound and reliable, which is like the earth, the rock, that you built your 
freeway or your house or your skyscraper on, even that is shifting. And in that sort of thinking, what else is there or who else is there to hope on besides the Lord? If, even, if you can't even consider the earth's foundation to be secure, then, then we have God as our rock. And so these are words of comfort uh, to us, uh, no matter what our situation is. Verse 5, and here there's what I think is a reflection back on the, the proud city um, uh, that was referred to in the latter part of chapter 25. It says, For he has brought low those who dwell on high, the unassailable city. He lays it low. He lays it low to the ground. He casts it to the dust. The foot will trample it, the feet of the afflicted, the steps of the helpless. Um, again, I think the order kind of, you know, uh, doesn't always fall, follow our uh, Western timeline, uh, but we can clearly see that there's a contrast here. Um, he talks, you know, in our chronology, when we tell a story, we talk about, you know, this has happened, and then the next thing has happened. And in this case, we get to hear a word about the new city before we find out our little reflection on what happened to the former city that was laid low. So uh, uh, this is just, I guess, a little bit of a, a good opportunity to remind us that when, when you're reading prophetic literature, you have to uh, you have to stay a, a, a little bit disconnected from the typical timelines that how we tell a story. You have to just kind of go with it a little bit. Um, and uh, I don't know if you've ever read books like this that you know they just are constantly shifting before and after. It's just a different way of telling a story, and, and it's uh, you just have to get used to it. All right, verse seven. The way of the righteous is smooth. O upright one, make it the path of the righteous level. Indeed, while following the way of thy judgments, O Lord, we have waited for thee eagerly. Thy name, even thy memory, is the desire of our souls. Um, here we have what seems to be some very, uh, a very personal kind of um, reflection there by Isaiah and a couple of interesting things that the way of the righteous is smooth make the path of the righteous level uh, it made me think as it probably does uh, some of you of proverbs uh, 3 5 and 6 it's famous verses it says trust in the lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight this this request for making our path straight and the, the acknowledgement that the way of the righteous is smooth. I, I think that's kind of interesting. Uh, in that part of the world, and I don't know, some of you that have been over there, I, I don't have first-hand knowledge of this, but I assume that if you got off the modern-day highway, it would, it would not be simple travel. If you were up and down the mountains, I understand it's fairly rocky. Um, if you're going up a mountain, you know, which 
probably aren't as it's not like the Rockies over there but you know you're curving back and forth and not real easy uh, to travel and here we have this concept of making our paths straight um, it occurs to me that for when we are following as best we can God's rules God's commandments God's guidelines we tend to avoid certain road hazards right uh, we may not make quite as many mistakes as we otherwise would if we kept our own devices we may not um, make a few detours that would be unproductive or are wrong for us um, you're not going to have in this life you know nothing's perfect but I think it is generally true that you can avoid a few consequences if you're following God's way uh, most of the most of the problems that we encounter are things that we bring on ourselves right it's just stupid stuff we do um, I wasn't paying attention I had my priorities wrong I you know it just there's benefit in following uh, God's way in the level path um, I was thinking this picture of roads and level paths and that sort of thing and um, I remember you know in my little commute to work uh, it's it's not a bad commute lots of people traveling once I leave city limits there's only one stoplight until I can go to work but from and you guys know this that those of you that have been around here longer than I have um, I mean and even now I mean right now from from Indyland to the state line it's a bit of a slow grind right a lot of traffic signals seems like there's a new one every six months um, it wasn't like that you know when I first started working here 20 some years ago in fact I think I tried to, to find out when but I think it must have just been a year or two before I started work that 521 was had become four lane. Does anybody know about when that was? I came in '92, and I, and I think it was mid to late '80s. I think that sounds about what I thought, because um, the asphalt certainly still looked pretty new back then, and and you could leave Lancaster and be like, at, I guess the closest thing everybody went was like to Carolina Place Mall. You could be there in like 25 minutes. Not anymore, right? <laughs> Not anymore. Um, but that was a that's done a lot for the county, right? It's it was it's a it's level, it's straight, and there's been some growth there. But that road has changed a lot, and I, I actually tried to find the answer to that online, and I just googled. What is the, you know, when was Highway 521 widened from Lancaster to, to uh, Pineville? And I didn't know, but Wikipedia has an entire history of US 520, Highway 521. Talks about where it goes and all the times it was renamed and rerouted. And, you know, now it officially terminates when it hits 485 now. It starts, I think, Georgetown or somewhere down that way. So it took a while. Uh, <laughs> that's a long time. I think I was in seventh grade. So you heard about it. Yeah. 
But that road, even Highway 520, this little road that we all take for granted, it's changed a lot. And it, it got me thinking that the, the road that we're all on is really a different road than our parents traveled a generation ago and our parents before them traveled a generation ago. Um, it's different, but the same God, right? And I, I just think there's, I don't know, there was just an interesting image to me that uh, just as our physical roads probably change and, and may seem different, but it, it's still, they're still getting us from the same place to the same place, but it might look different. And here we have the same God still getting us where we need to be, but it may look different for the different generations and for different ones of us. Um, we each have to be dependent on God. You know, we can't, we can't just um, copy, you know, uh, what's worked in the past. Verse 9, we'll jump on here. At night my soul longs for thee. Indeed, my spirit within me seeks thee diligently. For when the earth experiences thy judgments, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. Though the wicked is shown favor, he does not learn righteousness. He deals unjustly in the land of uprightness and does not perceive the majesty of the Lord. There's a couple of interesting verses here, and I think it is, again, in our chronology, almost helpful to look at verse 10 first. It says, The wicked shown favor does not learn righteousness. He deals unjustly in the land of, the up, of uprightness. So sometimes if you're living in the age of grace, um, the wicked seem to do okay sometimes, right? They seem to do okay. And, uh, you know, we know that the rain falls on the just and the unjust, and, you know, sometimes evil men prosper. It doesn't seem fair, but that's the way it is. But go back to verse 9. In the latter part it says, When the earth experiences thy judgments, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. Sometimes you got to have some judgment. you got to have the consequences applied to the people who are doing evil. And this is just a reminder that, that the judgment that comes periodically and that will come ultimately, it's a necessary thing. It's a necessary thing that, that sometimes when things are going great, it seems like the evil in the world kind of gets a free pass sometimes, but that is not going to be that way all the time. We'll comment on a few more verses as we go through here. Uh, verses 11. O Lord, thy hand is lifted up, yet they do not see it. They see thy zeal for the people and are put to shame. Indeed, fire will devour thine enemies. Lord, you will establish peace for us, since thou hast also performed for us all our works. Let me make a little side note here. When the New American Standard version was, um, was translated... Um, the, the dominant versions of the day was still King James um, and some of that language was just really very familiar to the ear 
And so it was a decision of the translators that sometimes with certain psalms and certain prayer language, they hung on to some of those King James phrases and, and the, the Elizabethan English. Just because it sounded right to them, it almost made it sound like prayer language or it, it just sounded right to them. So here, we, you know, thou wilt establish peace for us since thou hast also performed all of that wouldn't really show up in a, in a newer translation, right? And so, again, it's, it was just a decision that they made. And, um, you know, a generation from now, it might sound strange. They might continue. Who knows? But, but just, it was just a little side note there to, to comment on that. In, yeah. In the versions that they have, uh -huh. it's changed a little bit already. Oh, has it already? It says, oh, Lord, your hand is lifted up yet. They do not uh, see it. Uh, they see your zeal for the people. And I'll put the shame. Okay, well, that's a great example. I, I have the, the older New American. <laughs> and uh, so the, it was revised again. Was it 95? I think so. Maybe so. Um, all right, so that's great. Um, So things are constantly changing, I guess is the point. Yeah. So revised again in 95. First came out with 75, 76. I don't know what yours is. All right. Um, 60. 60. We have to go really. Yes. I didn't notice sitting back there. You're both my favorite Sunday school teachers. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see y'all back there. I should have worried that a little bit. Yeah, I've really been, <laughs> I've really been dwelling on that, Gwen. Uh, thank you, thank you for. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm just the deputy here. That's all. All right. Other the the. Focus on this little phrase here. Verse 13. Or Lord our God, other masters besides thee have ruled us, but through thee alone we confess thy name. We are very blessed to have lived most of our lives in a nation, and you can quibble with some of the details, but certainly the echoes of our Christian heritage are very present in our laws in our liberties and so forth. Um, there's not a big disconnect for us um, in who rules us and it's not that hard for us to have our government and also confess Jesus. It is certainly not like that for our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world who truly have masters over them that are not at all Christian and are part of the persecuted church in so many ways. Um, and even as we do elections and we want to make our world, our government as good as possible, whoever our master is, we still can choose who we confess, right? And so when we talk about who we're going to put our security in, um, I looked at that list. I knew everybody but Willie Wilson. I don't know who Willie Wilson is. I think he may be a patient of mine. <laughs> but... We can't put our trust in any of those people, ultimately, right? We can vote, pick the, the best we got, but ultimately, who do we confess? 
That's that's the real question. And and when you when you when you start to forget who your rock is, you can, you can get insecure. You can get a lot of worry. Who is our rock? Who are we confessing? I I heard a, a phrase on the radio, uh, kind of Christian radio station, and I'm going to paraphrase what the guy said, but he said roughly, even though God is aware of the direction that you're heading, he's mostly concerned with the direction that you're facing. Right? And I thought that was thought-provoking to me. Um, that, you know, like maybe you might feel like you're going down the rapids bobbing along, but, you know, who are you facing, no matter which way you're heading, I think is, is always helpful. All right, let's move on quickly. Um, verse 16. Uh, o Lord, they sought thee in distress. distress. They could only whisper a prayer. Your chastening was upon them as a the pregnant woman approaches the time to give birth. She rises and cries out in labor pains. Thus we were before thee, O Lord. We were pregnant. We writhed in labor. We gave birth, as it were, only to wind. We could not accomplish the deliverance for the earth, nor were inhabitants of the world born. Um, this is an unusual set of phrases, set of verses, and I'm just going to, I kind of looked at the different commentaries, and, and I found what I thought was maybe the best shot at explaining this. Uh, this is from um, the uh, Bible Knowledge Commentary by the folks out of uh, Dallas Theological. It says, The Lord's discipline on his people will not be easy to bear. It will be a time of great distress, a time when they will barely whisper a prayer either because of thirst or because of terror. Isaiah then compared their distress to the painful experience of childbirth. Childbirth, once it begins, must continue until it is finished. However, the nation of Israel will seem to give birth to win. That is, her travail will continue but will avail nothing. It will not result in deliverance. Unbelievers in Israel will be judged and will not enter the millennium. That was uh, what I thought was the best, most succinct interpretation of those verses. In verse 19, we've got to spend just a couple moments here. This is, this is gospel. This is good news. Your dead will live, their corpses will rise. You who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy. For your dew is as the dew of the dawn, and the earth will give birth to the departed spirits. This is resurrection, right? This is what it's all about. Um, you know, back in Jesus' day, there were, there were some of the... Was it the Sadducees that didn't believe in the res resurrection? You know, how could they read verses like this and like in Daniel uh, chapter 12 and not believe in the resurrection uh, it's all about the resurrection and like Paul says if there's no resurrection what are we doing you know what does it really matter if there's no resurrection but here it's there's resurrection we learned in chapter 26 that God swallowed up death so this is kind of partnering with, with that there is resurrection and now we have a little bit of a step back because before the resurrection, there's still some judgment. There's still some tribulation. And here you have the echo of the days of Noah when the people were went into the ark. And who closed the door? God closed the door. He says, come my people, enter your rooms, close your doors behind you, hide for a little while 
until indignation runs its course. God closed the door. There was protection there while the earth was being destroyed. Here it says, all right, you guys huddle up, buckle down. There's tribulation there that has yet to come. It's got to run its course. Verse 21, For behold, the Lord is about to come out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity, and the earth will reveal her bloodshed and will no longer cover her shame. Uh, there's going to be a day and there's going to be resurrection and the Lord's about to come out. Right? After the panthers burst out onto the field, there was a lot of there was a lot of hype, right? Needless to say, the performance did not live up to the hype. There's a lot of talk about what's going to happen. I got a real big hunch. Nothing that we've read is going to do it justice. The reality is going to be way more than we could ever expect. Since the Lord's about to come out from his place. That's pretty exciting stuff. All right, real quickly. Um, what do we learn about man in this passage? I'll just toss a few things out there. Man has been given a place of refuge in God. Man can benefit from a better path using God's directions. We can have security in God's protection. Man has a life beyond the grave. And what do we learn about God? He is serious about his righteousness and his glory. Everything that happens is all about, are you following in God's righteousness? God's coming out. Yes, we get to benefit but it's mainly to show his glory. God is the author of our only hope. He is our rock. He's called us my people. How cool is that? And then, of course, as we constantly see, God, God transcends time. And then one final thing to think about. Again, back in verse 8, it's really interesting. There's this, in fact, flip back real quickly. It says, Indeed, while following the way of thy judgments, O Lord, we have waited for thee eagerly. Two things that seem a little bit at odds. I'm waiting and I'm walking. Well, which is it? Well, it's both. The point is, while we're waiting, we're continuing with what we know. Right? We know there's more to come, but this is an active waiting. Right? We're, we, got our, we got our instructions, we've got what we know so far, and we need to keep traveling in that light until he shows us the next thing, all right? This active waiting, you're not, you're not distracted. You're continually focusing, you're confessing who God is. It's a very active. So this may be something to think about through the week. While I'm, am I waiting or walking right now? And how can I do both? So just something to think about. All right, we run along. Any final comments? All right, maybe I'll finish up 27 next week. All right, Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that you'd continue to use it to speak to us in so many ways. Help us to keep our eyes on you. Um, 
and give us encouragement when we think about what's going to happen when you come out of your place. In Jesus' name, amen.